Sound design. When you're just saying, I will do this, 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 and this for you, and it will cost X, that's an order sheet that they can shop around with. And that's not a position you want to be in. And the way to do that is to not sell audio engineering. Sound design. Sound Design Live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Oakland, California. Welcome to Sound Design Live, the show to help you build your career as a sound engineer in the home of the world's first online career coaching program optimized for audio professionals. I'm Nathan Lively, and today I'm joined by Brennan Dunn from the Business of Freelancing podcast and wfreelancing.com. Brennan, thanks for being here. Hey, thank you, Nathan. So, Brennan, I definitely want to talk to you today about personal branding, self-confidence, and daily habits for success. But first of all, what's the best music to listen to while you're coding? Uh, Gregorian chant. <laughs> Are you serious? I know. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. I, I love old, old music. So Good. I was afraid you were going to say, like, some kind of Enya-type Gregorian chant. No, 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 no. That's all New Age folks. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> you can say bullshit. It's that kind of show. <laughs> awesome. All right. Cool. So, Brennan, um, I'm talking to you today because, from my perspective, the world is now a place where it's no longer good enough to be just an engineer or just a designer. You can't build a thriving freelancing business on being great at a skill because if you're just a tool in a toolbox, there's always someone around the corner that will do it cheaper than you. And I think one of the big ideas we're going to talk about today is that if you want to be a successful freelancer today, you have to understand the business that your client is in and how they make money. Would you agree or do you disagree with some of that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's basically the difference of, um, you know, if, if you're selling your technical services, you're selling a commodity and commodities are for all intents and purposes, at least to the buyer, equal. So why wouldn't they go with the lowest option, which is often... Some guy overseas, or some you know college kid who went through a treehouse course and now brands himself as a you know engineer or a designer or whatever else. Yeah, and I know that some of the live sound engineers out there are going to disagree with me because they're going to say, "Oh, but you know you can't just hire someone from overseas because they have to be here and they have to be in this town and it's and it's location dependent." And that's true, but. As Brennan just said, for example, there could be someone just coming out of college that's going to do it for way cheaper than you or someone who just wants it more, who might even do it for free, who's a volunteer, something like that. Right. So, Brennan, I want my listeners to stop thinking about themselves merely as skilled artists and craftsmen, but also as consultants. So, if you would, do me a favor, talk for a minute about one how you got started educating yourself on how your clients make money, because I'm guessing that you didn't always understand how that worked. Two, where you fit into their business model, so basically what you learned. And three, how understanding those factors made real changes to your business and your life. I was a full-time employee at an interactive agency. That was really my first proper job outside of school. And in that job, I, I, you know, I went through the ranks, and I eventually became the technology director of the company, which kind of got me at the top of the food chain, at least for my department. So I got to see how we were selling clients. I got to, I got to be more high level, I guess. And um, so I learned a lot doing that, but I didn't really learn really as much as I needed to, I think, because what ended up happening was my wife and I, we got pregnant. She wanted to move back up to Virginia. We were down in Miami at the point at the time. 
And I didn't know the business community up here. I didn't know anything about it. So I ended up kind of becoming a freelancer out of necessity. And in that process, at first, I started to sell myself the way I used to always sell myself, which was, um, you know, like a job interview. Like if I was going to get a job somewhere. So I would talk about my technical credentials. I would give them my years of experience and, you know, that, that usual kind of, kind of thing. And, um, you know, that's how I got my first few clients. I thought I was doing really well. I was doing $50 an hour on average was my rate, mm-hmm. which um, to me was like, hey, six figures if I work full time. So I did that. And then what ended up happening was I got more, a lot of referrals and, you know, I, I, I did something right. I got lucky and I was doing some things right. So I got a, a lot of referrals and that ended up, I ended up being kind of at a crossroads where I could either turn away work or grow a team. So I grew a team. And as I grew that team, eventually I got to 11 employees. We were doing 2 million plus a year in revenue, clients all over uh, the world. And one of the things I learned, having being kind of in the, you know, in the middle between my clients and now the people doing the work, was I started to see kind of the business side of things, right? I started to learn about the underlying businesses of my clients. You know, instead, it, historically, I'd always just responded and said, okay, you need a website built, you need a web application designed or developed. Let's talk about what that looks like, how that functions, and so on. I started shifting toward trying to understand what underlying business problem are they willing to spend money on and how does that need to be solved? What, what, would, what does it mean for them to do to implement that in their business? And when I started doing that, everything shifted. So we started, instead of focusing on the technicals, we focused on uh, where they are now, where they want to be, or where they need to be. And what ended up happening amazingly was it was easier to sell because we weren't competing. We weren't, you know, it wasn't like, hey, we'll sell you a website for 20 grand, but the guy down the street will sell you one for 5,000. Mm-hmm. Like we weren't even, it wasn't even the same product. So it was easier to sell. We made more money because we were delivering a more valuable product to our clients. So eventually, you know, that 50 an hour went up to 10,000 a week. Uh, internally in our company. Nowadays, when I consult, it's 20,000 plus a week. And on top of that, we my team had more creative freedom because we weren't seen as just executors. We were really consultants and every creative person on the planet wants more creative latitude and, and flexibility. And uh, just by virtue of changing the way that we approached clients and approached our work, we were given more freedom and flexibility, which made everyone you know inside of the inside of the company, including me, happier. And so, let me just interrupt you for a second because you said that you uh, started focusing on this more. But what did that look like in pro? In um, sorry, what did that look like in practice? Does, did it just mean yeah. longer conversations with clients where you could say, you know, explain to me uh, a you know a client cycle or product cycle? Was that in practice how you learned about their business and where you fit in and how they made money and how you could make them more money? That's right. So typically, what would end up happening, and this is how most of us operate, and I'm, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use web designers as an example. I know the those listening are mostly on the audio side of things, but uh, try to come up with some parallels. But basically, like if somebody would come to me and say, "Brennan, I need a website developed," historically, I would always start with, "Well, let's talk about the website. Um, How many pages should it be? What should it look like? How should it function? How should it be structured?" Um, what are we going to use WordPress or are we going to use something else? Like I would, I would focus on 
what I'm good at, what I'm comfortable at, which is the technicals. Mm-hmm. And what I started doing differently was, you know, somebody would come to me and say, you know, Brennan, I, I need a website developed. I hear you, you design websites. I would start working backwards. I would uh, kind of like peel away different layers and, and ask them, so what, what made you decide that you needed a new website? And, you know, usually it's like an event or a culmination of events that got them there. And then I work even, I, I, question them backwards and I call this Socratic questioning. You know, I would I would just kind of work backwards and try to figure out like what is the underlying business problem? Like what is the problem behind the project? And financially what is that how does that affect you? Is the fact that your website is you know, you think it's ugly and it needs to be redesigned, but what does that actually mean tangibly? It probably means they're not getting as many sales online or or whatever as they want to be getting. And and what does that mean for their business? Like are they held back? Can they not scale as quickly as they want to scale? Like, what does all that mean? And then finally, what is the, what should tomorrow look like for them? So what do they imagine if this project gets done, paint me a picture of what your business should look like starting tomorrow, right? And that's the kind of stuff that, I mean, ultimately what that ended up allowing us to do is when we know where they are now and where they need to be, we can design the bridge better. We can build the bridge better and the bridge is the website. The bridge is technically what we do, but if you design a bridge or build a bridge without the grounding in the context of where are they today and where do they need to be at the end of that bridge, you can you can build the wrong thing. You can do the wrong thing, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what a lot of, at least in my industry, a lot of people end up doing. Where it's, it's so focused on the technicals that you can success you can succeed technically, but fail when it comes to solving the underlying problem. And that happens a lot. So we started just changing the way that we sold, and which ended up making it so, like, you know, any any requirement that would come up, anything that the client asked us to do, we would we would look at that and, and weigh that against. Well, is this going to get us closer to that end goal that we know we both have agreed is where you need to be? Is this getting us closer? And if so, how? And it made it a lot easier for us to really d- discuss, like. Are we doing the right thing? Are we? Is what we're doing today on this project getting us closer to the goal? I have a nine-lesson uh, free email course that is basically on how to Socratic question and all that kind of stuff. That's actually at freepricingcourse.com, which just redirects to a sub URL on my site. Okay, and that's the best place. It's I think it's lesson four or five. Okay, that, so that'll come up if people sign up for that course. That page that I'm thinking of will come up during the course. That's right. Yes, excellent. Unless they're listening to this like 20 years from now and that's defunct or something. <laughs> but yeah, one of the most important things was you started asking your clients and potential clients um, better questions. You know, no, one, I like to say no one ever pays money for audio engineering or graphic design or code or like no one spends money on that. They spend money for what it, the outcome that they hope results. By virtue of doing that, right? Yep. So, the more we can understand what that is, the better we can pitch somebody on hiring us, on working with us, and ultimately, the better we can be at doing our job because we know exactly what the underlying goals are for our client. Yeah, we've spent a lot of time in trying to figure out how to not only use our tools and our skills, but how to create outcomes with those tools, specific outcomes with those tools and skills. That's right. 
I was struggling to prepare for this interview because there's so many ideas that you've shared to help freelancers build their careers. And I was coming up with a lot of questions. Also, you've written many articles already. You have courses that people can buy on your website and you've done lots of interviews. And I didn't want to try to repeat any of that. So I think what might be a better approach or at least a more fun approach would be for you to pretend like you wanted to quit everything and become a freelance sound engineer tomorrow. And for that to be your primary career and your income as quickly as possible. So I'll try to give you as much information as I can to help make you successful. And I think this will give us a chance to compare and contrast our two industries and see where we can apply some of your strategies to my audience. Does that sound crazy? Let's do it. That sounds great. Okay. So um, how would you start? What would you do to break into pro audio and try to create a thriving business? So I had been at that point in my business where I have a podcast, but I had been doing amateur hour for a while where I'm, I'm using a, what is that logic pro express logic pro or whatever that tool is called. Mm-hmm, um, that's what it's to, called. To, yeah. To do my own editing. And I'm not like everyone would write in saying like, Hey, your guest is a lot louder than you. It sounds really bad. And I was like, I can't tell maybe. <laughs> I don't know how this works. Um, so I eventually decided to step up my game. So I started, uh, looking around. I was, you know, I, I went on like the different marketplace sites. I tweeted saying, Hey, does anyone know anyone who is really good at audio editing that I could talk to? And I got a bunch of people, um, you know, who would come in and one guy I remember was telling me all about like his tool set and, I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm a technical guy myself, at least on one side of the computing, uh, you know, uh, spectrum. But I know nothing about audio, so like I didn't. I, he was telling me stuff that didn't really mean anything to me. But then I came across this guy Craig Hewitt, who runs PodcastMotor.com, mm-hmm. and you go to Craig's site. And let me actually pull it up so I can tell you exactly what why I immediately hired him. So, podcast editing and production services for self-funded businesses is his headline. That's me. When you go down to the bottom, here's what he does for me. He edits up to five shows a month, includes the intros, outros, music, and sound effects, tags the final MP3 with the right ID3 tags, fine-tunes the recording, uploads the final version to my media host, which is um, like Libsyn or something like that, writes a draft blog post on my site with all the URLs mentioned in the show, the condensed show notes, links to relevant anything else, along with the host and guest contact info, creates custom artwork for that episode, and then will send me some ready-to-go tweets that I can tweet about. So literally, I I dump raw recording of the interview I did over Skype to Craig, and it ends up on my website. So to me... He's solving a problem. He's solving a problem that I hate doing that kind of stuff. And I, I need more. I needed more. I didn't know it, but I needed more than just somebody to go in and clean up audio files or to piece audio files together with like an intro and an outro or whatever else. Um, he was solving my problem, which was I wanted a complete turnkey uh, podcasting solution. And audio editing is a part of that. But ultimately, what he's giving me is. You know, a, a polished, complete episode, right? With with everything that the typical podcaster wants: show notes, links, uh, guest information, all that kind of stuff. To me, I didn't hire him because I needed, like, I don't care about audio editing. I just want a professionally sounding episode that is mostly like I just want to be able to show up, record the interview, and the rest is taken care of for me. 
We've been talking a lot today about how to transition our business toward more money and creative freedom by thinking of ourselves as consultants and partners of our clients rather than just technicians or designers. So to help you continue in that direction, I've created a free step-by-step workbook to help you get started. It's called Audio Contractor to Consultant, and you can access it at sounddesignlive.com slash consultant. It's fresh and new, and I'm looking forward to see what you'll do with it. And you can get started right now at sounddesignlive.com slash consultant. And he knew the problem that myself and a, a bunch of others have. And he wrote a very compelling sales page that spoke exactly to that problem. He's not talking about audio engineering. He doesn't even say anything about how long he's been doing it or anything like that because it doesn't ultimately matter to me. You know, he's focused on if if this is a problem you have, here's a solution I have to offer, and it's 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 brilliant. I immediately hired him. Uh, nice. You know, I don't care about how much time he spends. It doesn't matter. Like all I care about is the what I put in versus what I get out. And I like this story because I think it identifies two of the first biggest problems with working in pro audio, which are one, no one Google's sound engineer to find you, um, and two, most sound engineers that I know immediately pitch with the equipment that they have because that's what they know and that's kind of what they think is the comparison when really that's not important to their clients at all. Or yeah, I mean, <laughs> to, you know, depending on who they are, but to people like you and to the majority of people, not at all. I don't want to. I don't want to piss anyone off by saying this, but <laughs> the the fact is is that there's a degree of vanity that goes into all of this, and that is like as an audio engineer, you spent years getting to the point that you're at now. You're very proud of what you do. You probably, you know, you have friends who are in the industry. You talk shop often, and it's a little almost too easy to talk shop when a potential client is in front of you. And um, you know, at the end of the day. You know the, the client. If the client wants a solution, and you're you're giving them technical information, the client is then responsible for translating that internally into the solution they're looking for. So, like if I when I was talking to just run of the mill audio engineers, I needed to internalize: Can this actually? You know, I'm I'm looking to just make it so my life is easier. I hate editing podcasts. I hate the whole process of like. You know, exporting it as an MP3, uploading it to whatever, getting the blog post up, like all that kind of stuff. I don't want to do that anymore. Yep. And I needed to kind of internally determine whether or not the people I was speaking with could do that for me. But then here's this guy, Craig, who says exactly what I wanted him to say. And I'm like, wow, this is exi- exactly the solution I need for my problem. And that's why I didn't even think twice and hired him. When I get low, oh, I get and I think if I were starting today, and if I woke up tomorrow and magically knew how to edit audio, um, I would do something very similar. I would try to research what what are some kind of recurring problems that people like me are typically hired for. Like you know, I mean, what is the like podcasting, to be honest, is the only application I know of. But I know, like, when I hired my, I hired somebody to do my video work. I ended up paying him twenty times more than another offer I got because he was selling me a different product. You know, he wasn't just selling me somebody who's capable of using Adobe Premiere to edit things together. He was selling directing services on top of it. He was actually saying, "Look, I." understand your business. I will come in when I'm recording you. I will tell you if you're going off track. 
if you're not making sense. I will, I will help you steer back in so that you have a concise and, and you know the, clear, the amount of clarity in each video lesson is really strong. Mm-hmm. And he did that. And I was willing to pay a premium because I knew I would get a better product at the end of the day. So at the end of the, I mean, he was still doing the same thing that the guy who was a 20th of his cost was doing, which is using Adobe Premiere to edit raw footage. But what I was ultimately getting at the end of the day was different. People didn't always have these packages that were so desirable immediately. I'm sure Craig started out with with a package that was not so valuable and not so desirable. And then he had a lot of conversations with clients, just like Brennan was talking about, and edited it and made it, you know, a little bit better every time he talked to a client until eventually he had something that only had all the valuable things that the majority of his ideal clients wanted and cut out all the stuff that they didn't care about. And so he didn't, I just want people to know that he didn't start out just like magically knowing what clients wanted. No, and this is typically not something you come up with in a vacuum. I mean, this is the result of him having done a few projects that more or less had the same requirements, you know, baseline requirements, and he just abstracted that into a service that he now offers. But I think, I mean, ultimately, you don't even need to go as far as to have a full-blown marketing site where this is all I do and you know and so on. I mean, all you really need to be doing is when you do engage with a new lead, really try to understand exactly what are they what problem are they hoping I solve for them and sell them on the solution to that problem instead of just saying, look, I'm I'm talented, I'm experienced and mm-hmm. you can rent me for this much money and I will do my thing for you. You know, most of my leads would come over email. And I would immediately send off a qualifying questionnaire where I would ask them point blank, what are you, what is the business case? What are you trying to solve? What is success for you? What is failure? What um I would even go as far as to say, is your minimum budget at least X? This way I'm kind of, you know, if anyone is like, I need a YouTube clone for five hundred bucks. I mean, I'm weeding them out early on. You know, I want to make sure that there's a good fit between both of us. And that's that's what consulting really should be. It's there's equal exchanges of value. It's not there's a there's not a superior and then an inferior. It's you know you have something of value, they have something of value, namely cash, and that's exchanged. And that's you know as long as you if you provide a better, more valuable product, you can then charge a premium for that product. So Brennan, the number one obstacle that I hear from my listeners and clients is confidence. So I wasn't surprised to read that this is also one of the biggest obstacles for your readers. So let's talk for a minute about some strategies that we can all use to build our confidence. In the article that I'm thinking of, you write, once I started focusing on the other half of the equation, the value I produce, my struggles with confidence became a thing of the past. So what does that look like in, in practice? I mentioned earlier that with my recent spat of clients, I've, I've been charging upwards of 20000 a week. And I'm fairly introverted, and that's not exactly market rate. And you know, I, I would have a hard time looking somebody in the eye and saying, yeah, by the way, I'm 20000 a week. The fact that I know that the product is different 
mean, that to me, that's the biggest thing. Like there, there's a big, there's this big fear, and I, I see this firsthand daily, really, of imposter syndrome, where um, you know it's easier for me to default to what is the market rate of a service like mine because I can defend that, right? I can say, well, yeah, you should pay me $50 an hour because the average full-time web developer employee is basically making the equivalent of $50 an hour. And that's how you justify your price if somebody pushes back. Mm-hmm. The thing is, when, when, you, when you redefine exactly what you're providing and when you really start to focus on the outcome and what that could mean financially to the client. I mean, one of the things I do, and this is really how I charge that. I mean, I'm not cheating anyone. I'm not like you know, doing anything like that. What I'm doing is I, I, I start to learn, like, what is the value of the project for this client? And, you know, there, there's this concept of value-based pricing where you're basically pricing off of the, um, off of kind of the net value, the, the expected value of a project. I don't actually practice that. I, I practice a variation of that called anchoring. So what I, what I mean by that is, like most of my projects that I work on will yield at least $100,000 plus in added revenue for my clients. So when I go and I tell somebody in a proposal that my rate is $20,000 a week and I think it'll take two weeks to accomplish, I anchor that, meaning I contextualize my cost with what I expect the payoff will be and why I am pretty certain that's what it'll be. So like case in point, let's say somebody tells me that um, you know uh, they have a, a, a medical clinic and the average value of a patient is $5,000 a patient. They convert one out of 10 people who call their front desk. So a, a lead is valued at you know $500 a lead. Well, if I have a clear strategy for helping them generate a lead a day that's valued at 500 a day, time, that's you know $15,000 a month in added revenue, I, I, will, I will work out this kind of back of the napkin math to help them figure out this because the what I what I try to tell my clients is I only want to work with them if they get a return on their investment. So I position myself as an investment. I'm not an expense. I'm saying you're spending forty thousand, but here's how I think you're going to make a hundred thousand plus, and here's a realistic path forward to help you do that. So for me, I, I'm not just pulling some number out of thin air or whatever else. There's a very there's a really a valid reason why I want to learn about their business and the problem and the financial aspects of that problem. So if they're losing money daily due to this issue, if that goes away, what will it add to their bottom line, right? Like how much more will be added to their their profit margins Mm -hmm. if that issue goes away? So I'm very focused on that. And everything that I do, I mean, most of us sell B2B, business to business. Like maybe some of maybe some of your listeners might do consumer where I doubt it, but like most of us probably work for businesses, right? Mm-hmm. And usually businesses pay money to either make more money or to lose less money. That's typically like I spend money on my podcast because it does affect my sales, so I'm willing to spend money on that podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the more professional it is, the more it reflects better on my brand and everything else. So, with that said, that's. And that's how Craig sells me. That's how I sell my clients because we're focused on really trying to understand why is money being exchanged in the first place and how can we deliver more value than is being put into the relationship, right? Like, so if they're spending, like, Craig, I pay Craig like $500 a month for my editing. Well, 
he knows that um, he's returning more than that, you know, in, in value. And he knows, I mean, we've talked about my numbers. We've talked about how my podcast plays, plays into all that. And that, you know, that, that's all a part of it. So I guess if I wanted to replicate that, I instead of just keep repeating in my mind, I'm good enough, I'm good enough, I'm good enough, I look back at my own kind of credibility indicators and see, uh, here's where I've made money for people in the past, and then I can project that and do some math into the future and say, okay, in this similar scenario, I can predict that I'll make this much money for you or provide this solution in the future, and therefore, it's justifiable and uh, here's the value I produce. It's justifiable for me to charge this rate. Okay, so now it's not just like this number I've made up in my head. That's right. Yeah, I mean, that's. I think it's really important if you can to reflect on your past work, produce case studies that really showcase not only technically what you did, but also what the end result was for your client. I mean, those are. I mean, to be honest, we're always wanting really good testimonials. The best testimonials are something like, you know, he helped. Increase our our listenership by twenty uh, percent or something within three months or something, right? Like that's the kind of thing that that's a testimonial. A yeah. testimonial is not Brennan's fun to work with because yeah. as a bit, as somebody spending money, I don't give a shit how fun you are to work with, right? <laughs> what? Like, don't you I mean, want to just work with fun people who make lots of good <laughs> jokes? No, you want you want people in a B two B relationship. You want people who are investments. That's exactly what you're looking for. Okay. You know, so. But unfortunately, like so many testimonials are so focused on on that. So, know, so so tell me how to do this, Brendan. If you and I are working together and you come back to me and you said, Hey, great job. I enjoyed working with you. Uh, let's do some more work together, something like that. Then I say, Okay, great. Tell me how much money you made so that I can figure out what my value is to you. What does that conversation sound like? First off, I make it very clear that I don't want to engage on a project that I don't think will be a will yield a, an ROI, meaning I don't think that they're going to get more out of it than they're putting into it. Mm-hmm. So for me, and usually, I mean, these aren't public numbers typically, so this is where I will proactively come with a non-disclosure agreement and tell them, look, I'm going to, for me to effectively help you, I need to know things about your business that are probably not public knowledge. Uh-huh. And you know, these are things like, if you have patients, and these patients are worth $5,000 a piece, and it takes you 10 leads to get one patient, it's $500 a lead. I can't affect that. I can't control how good your sales team is at closing. I can't control your your margin. I can't control your costs. One thing I can influence, though, is the number of leads that actually enter that funnel for you. Mm-hmm. So you know, considering that I can control that, I know technology, I know conversions, I know building websites to convert, that convert. I can um, if I don't think that the amount of new leads I'm going to generate for you will outweigh the cost that I'm going to ask from you, then um, then either we're going to first off need to either change what is happening so that that equation does start to make sense, or I, I we just won't be able to work together. And I think every client I've talked to has respected the fact that I am I'm a steward of their money. It's actually it's funny etymologically the word client. Comes from the ancient French to protect. So when you say you have a client, what you mean is you're offering somebody protection. Interesting. And there's, in my mind, budgetary protection is a big thing. So I'm not there just to bill people, I'm there to return, help people make a profit off of my effort, I guess. 
And when you make that a very clear cut, when you say, here's what you're going to be spending, but here's what you're going to be getting, that's that's how you sell high price engagements. When you're just saying, I will do this, 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 and this for you, and it will cost X. I mean, that's an order sheet that they can shop around with. They can go and say, hey, you know, this guy will do audio engineering for 30 bucks an hour. Can you do it for 20 bucks an hour? Right. Yep. And that's not a position you want to be in. And the way to do that is to not sell audio engineering. What's important is you working with clients who respect and trust you. Are you pretty good when you first talk to a new client at telling whether or not that client will be someone who respects and trusts you? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, part of part of my reason for qualifying aggressively early on and really understanding like the questions I ask are, like I mentioned, um, business reason for this project, success, you know, what is success for you? Is your budget above X? Um, are you are you the stakeholder? Like are you the decision maker or is somebody else the decision maker? Mm-hmm. Um, and have you done something like this before? How they answer those questions is very telling. In terms of, I mean, some people, if, if all they're doing is like, what is your rate? What is your rate? What is your rate? Like, that's not, that's, they have disqualified themselves, you know, effectively mm-hmm. uh, from working with me. That being said, yeah, I, I don't think all leads are equal. I, I think it's, it's, it's hard, especially when you're just starting out because you, you, you have a hard, it's hard to say no. If somebody is saying, I will spend money on you, it's hard to say no, but it's important to understand that as a service provider, the one thing that we have that is limited is our availability, is our time, and it's a non-renewable resource. So it's important for us to know that we can only handle so many projects at once. And uh, you know, you want to make sure that the projects you do work on are the kind that move your you and your business forward, and not stagnate you or cause you to even backtrack, mm-hmm. you know, backtrack at all. So moving on, Brennan, I'm interested in turning some of my most powerful business actions into processes that I can schedule and repeat. So I'm curious, what are some of the best habits or processes that you've discovered for running and growing your business? Uh, First off is to consistently produce. So what I mean by that is um, it's very easy to consume, but very few people produce. And Mm -hmm. by, by that I mean producing content, videos, blog posts, products, whatever they may be, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think the reason a lot of people don't, well, there's two reasons I think people don't produce. Um, One of them is the fear of putting themselves in a public setting, I guess. Like you as a podcaster, there might have been, the first time you ever launched the podcast, I mean, you might have had doubts, Mm -hmm. you know, potentially. And a lot of people do, right? Like I had doubts too. Um, I still do. So, yeah, so that that's one thing. And the other thing I think is they treat it as something I will do when I have the time, which they never have the time. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'll work on that side project when I get time. Mm-hmm. The thing that's helped me a lot is I go in and I schedule writing. I go in and I schedule just about everything, things beyond just meetings. And I'll schedule going to the gym because I know if I say I'll go to the gym when I have time, I won't go to the gym. But if I go in and make it a calendar entry, I will go to the gym. So I think the same is true of producing, and that needs to happen. You, people need to produce. And the second thing that's really helped me is to journal uh, my business, is to collect data. Because there's nothing worse than you're going through a week and you feel like you've gotten nothing done. 
your business has stalled, you haven't made any forward momentum, maybe it even looks like you're just, you know, start, things are starting to slip. When you can look at like a journal of data and see, yes, this week has not been ideal, but for the most part, we've been moving up and to the right. It's like with a stock price, like not every day or week is going to be great for a stock, but a good stock is constantly on its way upward, you know, over time. And if you don't have that data, if everything is just this feeling that my business is doing better or this assumption that, um, you know, I've got a good business, it, it, it can be easy to second guess yourself because you, you know, you have a bad week or two or a bad month and you start thinking, you know, maybe I'm not cut out for this or maybe mm-hmm. maybe I should be doing something different. And it's it's really easy to second guess yourself. Yeah. So I've, those two things have really helped me. It sounds like you are talking about maybe doing like a weekly review or a daily success log to really That's improve your emotional resilience. I actually, I'll send you the link afterward, but I, I have a, a blog post that I wrote about the habit I do uh, for that, which is end of the week review um, not only what I got done, but uh, any f- direct financial impact that I think it's had on my business. And I try to capture all that. And then, you know, it's really nice when you're feeling demotivated to look back at kind of your history and and realize it's really not all that bad. Yeah, I like that. I have written, especially recently, a lot about the most important quality of an entrepreneur being this ability to be unstoppable. There's nothing that will shut you down and waste more time than kind of falling apart emotionally, you know, or or, or feeling like you're not making progress and just kind of losing control. So so, um, I appreciate that. Brennan, do you have a business coach or mastermind group or accountability partner? How do you promote your own evolution as an entrepreneur? So I'm in two scheduled masterminds. They actually meet bi-weekly, so that means I have one mastermind a week. Uh, One is with people who run software businesses, because one of my businesses is a software business. And the other are people who are just doing more kind of like the training side, um, which is the other side of the coin for my business. Um, So I do that, and I'm also in a lot of uh, Slack channels with uh, bootstrappers, or I'm in one with authors, one with bootstrappers, one with um, people who do productized services, and that's usually it. I mean, I, it's, it's hard because you don't want to be too distracted, um, especially some of these chat rooms. It's kind of easy to kind of uh, procrastinate and get involved in talking with people, but um, they've been really helpful. I mean, just you know, I can kind of bounce off ideas about I don't know an email I might be writing for my list or a concept that I have, and I can get kind of immediate feedback. But then the benefit, too, of the scheduled masterminds is at the end of each time we meet, we set goals, right? Like, here's what I want to achieve before the next time we meet again. And when we meet again, we review those goals. So it's really, you start to sound like a, an idiot if every time you're saying the same goal, you know, and you never complete it. And uh, it helps keep yourself accountable versus if you're just solo and you, you're kind of in your own echo chamber, it can be easy to have like a perma goal, right? That never gets done. So Brendan, thank you so much for being on Sound Design Live. And where is the best place for people to follow your work online? My website, which has everything I've done, is doubleyourfreelancing.com. Uh, the thing I mentioned at the beginning with the Socratic questions and everything else, I actually have a nine-part free email course called Charge What You're Worth. Um, yeah, and that's I've a, gone through it. It's really good. 
Yeah, that's at freepricingcourse.com. It used to be like doublerecruelancing.com slash free-pricing-course. But I finally got freepricingcourse.com. Sound design. All the fun music in today's episode is by Slovak export band Dynamo Team. You can find them at dynamoteam.bandcamp.com. Thanks, guys. You know you have much more.